Welcome to The Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Yovano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of Impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first. Welcome back to The Partnership Economy. This is Todd Crawford, and today we have a great episode with Ty DeGrange. Ty is a CEO and principal growth marketer at Round Barn Labs. With more than 17 years of experience, including time at Amazon and eBay, Ty has developed a wealth of expertise to scale affiliate programs and other marketing channels and initiatives. Ty provides a data-driven and customer-centric approach to grow startups and Fortune 500 companies in the consumer and enterprise space. In this episode, we discuss the importance of A-B testing, challenges with attracting and retaining talent, and the potential around shoppable commerce. It was great catching up with Ty. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Ty, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm awesome, Todd. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I think, you know, just to kick things off, I'd like to unpack Round Barn Labs. I'd like to start with like, where you came from and what made you start Round Barn Labs? And then really, what, what is it? What's the, what, what are some of the specialties that you guys have? I came from, uh, started out in programmatic marketing at one of the first ad networks. So it was a Sequoia-backed ad network. They were kind of exploding at the time about 15, 15 or so years ago. Post that, I was able to get into Commission Junction, where I was lucky enough to connect with great people like yourself many years ago and went deep into the affiliate world. From there, I was at eBay running affiliate. And then after that, I was able to get into multi-channel and really saw uh, under the hood of a number of great companies, was able to get into customer acquisition beyond the affiliate world. As I went through that, I found that folks were coming to me asking about growth, customer acquisition, uh, setting up marketing channels, and uh, discovered there was a need there. And there was a lot of agencies out there that were maybe not as uh, thinking holistically about the interaction of a number of these channels, not as maybe data-driven as I think we they could have been, and often didn't have incentives aligned as well as I thought we could set them up. So a number of folks started reaching out, and that's what sparked the interest to really start the business about eight years ago. Um, we what we do is we specialize in affiliate influencer partner marketing, an area that's near and dear to you and, and, and my career. Uh, and we also specialize in, in paid search, social programmatic, and also conversion rate optimization and testing. And so we, we try to kind of bring those together. We talk about it in, uh, in my flywheel, which we, we kind of dubbed the RBL flywheel, but basically being able to optimize a site, have great third parties say great things about your brand an e-commerce consumer brand, and then having that input into, into paid social, into the newsfeed uh, to acquire customers in a targeted way. So we try to be, we consider ourselves a growth agency. We like to be involved in a number of different things. The first thing I, I like to talk about is kind of what's top of mind as you're dealing with the industry and clients, like what's really top of mind for you and that you're kind of focused on right now. We see some really interesting things. You know, we've seen hundreds of examples and, and clients, uh, past, current, and planning for the future. And I, I think the, the fascinating thing for me is the learning process, as you probably see. We, we 
that really uh, drives me and it's something that's really exciting to me. For, for us, we are starting to see more people focused on improving pages, sites, apps, uh, more so than I've had before. Uh, I think in particular, when you see maybe more constraints on budgeting, more constraints on venture capital, there's a, a push to, towards more efficiency. And I've always enjoyed and I've always found it very interesting to be able to kind of unpack how a site can be made more efficient or a landing page can be made more efficient. More and more clients are resonating with the, the levers they can pull to bring users through their consumer journey or their funnel more efficiently, really without having to spend any media dollars at all. The you know, conversion rate optimization, A-B testing, experimentation, landing page testing work seems to be really resonating. We just to give you an example, we really stood up a proper practice at the end of last year. And already now, we're, it's, it's probably our second largest really practice area for us. We're seeing a lot of folks gravitate towards that. There's a lot of, I think, a lot of good questions around it, around you know, how do people handle it. And I think there's some, some good practitioners starting to kind of improve in that space. So those are some just one of the areas we're seeing a lot of activity and questions and conversation. Yeah, I think conversion rate optimization is obviously a, a material lever that it seems like a lot of companies put on the back burner because they're just focused on spending media and you know maintaining their website and, and maybe changing and evolving the UI or the design of pages, but not necessarily testing. And I think when you're buying traffic, any improvement on the conversion rate improves your return on ad spend. And I think, although everyone knows that, it's usually, I don't know, what department does do you see conversion optimization? Is that more in like the merchandising team or where does that usually sit in a company? Because is, is it typically part of marketing? It's a really good point. And we've noticed that a vast kind of array of positions can be involved in A-B testing, experimentation, and conversion rate optimization on on site apps and landing pages, Uh, engineering, product, merchandising, to your point. It seems like the majority of our product seems to be really central to a lot of these conversations. They seem to be very central to growth, which I know is is key, part of what you you understand and deal with and what we, we all work in. And so product seems to be the lion's share. Other areas like e-com- uh, like e-commerce merchandising, uh, like engineering, are very much involved. We find that when we get involved in projects with customers, uh, with consumer brands, oftentimes we we're almost putting on a product manager's hat in conveying benefits, trade-offs, timing, prioritization to engineers or designers. We're, what's interesting too is we're finding that teams that have really well built out product teams that are running experiments or well built out growth teams that are running experiments or just growth teams in general often are not maybe getting the velocity that they want or maybe quality they want. They, they can run some experiments, but we're finding that having a third party uh, externally as kind of an extension of the team can help and benefit. Where are those experimentation decisions being made? Who's really managing them? 
We've seen a lot of different cases depending on how large the company is, what stage they're in in their journey, right? That's kind of what we're seeing. Yeah, it seems like agility is really the key here because you want to be able to get designs or or landing pages in place, test them, move on, take the winner, then come up with an iteration off of that. And I think a lot of times companies don't have the infrastructure for the agility to, you know, say, look, we've got four candidates that we're going to test. We're going to AB these two. The winner will go to, you know, it's like a bracket system, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And you just kind of run through and you get a better page and you measure the, you know, increase in yield. It's funny. Um, <laughs> I was at a product release. We do every time there's going to be a, a product release, usually once a month, we have kind of this, I think it's called a product power hour internally. And one of the things they were reviewing was this AB testing page. So we do have the ability to split traffic to two pages. Obviously, we're not building the pages, but we, we at least have the ability to split traffic and then provide reports on what the split is and what the difference is. You know, again, you need as many tools as possible to just give you that agility and decision making so that you can kind of, because I mean, you could, it's a rabbit hole, right? You, you could do this forever. Right. I mean, there's no no end to trying to improve a page. And I think a lot of people just copy their biggest competitor or Amazon because they want to kind of create a familiar look and feel that consumers are already used to. Right. So well said. Uh, I love the old adage that growth is never done. There's a lot of kind of, you know, euphemisms and sayings. And I think that one's really accurate. You're 100 percent right. And teams often don't think about it. I think as clearly as they should be. And and I think the agility mentioned is really important that there's a, some data out there talking about when Twitter really started growing many years ago, I think this was about the 10-year ago phase and that maybe early 2010s, the number of tests they were running was really highly correlated to a lot of that growth they were seeing early on. I think running experiments is really central to kind of concepts of growth in general and and how businesses intend to improve and proceed. And I think that performance marketing, growth, paid marketing, teams that are thinking about it from an experimentation perspective, like you said, of saying, let's structure hypotheses supported by data we have, data we've collected, uh, both qualitative and quantitative, and then documentation, really rigorous documentation of that, seeing how we did, and then Improving that going forward is, is really lacking in a lot of places. And the, the qualitative stuff is, is, I think, the area that people really miss out on because obviously we understand the importance of data. Data is kind of <laughs> right the hot word du jour. And I think that talking to customers can be as important, sometimes more so. Um, that can we we love to do that on behalf of clients to get really embedded into what is it like to get through the use cases and the pain points and what customers love or or might be meh on a on a particular product. And so I think it's something that can be it's rarely can't be improved from what we've seen in, in a lot of the examples. Yeah, I think most people when they think of A B are really, you know, especially if you're buying a lot of programmatic and search, you're you're focused on the ad creative. And getting that to respond well, because there's so much more effort to do the landing page. And I think there's far more to be gained from landing page optimization than there is from creative or content. I mean, you know, little things can definitely make 
someone respond to an ad better, but I really think it's about the, you know, once you've got them on the site, that's the gold, right? You're getting traffic every day. How can you get more out of it? You said it earlier so well. It's like, you know, you have so much that's already coming to that site destination through your earned and owned efforts. You make an improvement on that page and you're, you've, you're going to get compounding gains by, by improving that without lifting, you know, spending a, a dime technically on media. And then go, by the way, you get to help get some lift on your media as well. The other thing that people often don't do is, is it sounds quite simple, but you know, really actually aligning that entire journey from, from ad to content piece to landing page. Some do it well, but there's, there's certainly opportunity to align that better. But you're right about the page itself. It's, there's just so much that can, so many benefits of doing it. We'll try to run six to eight experiments on kind of a pretty in-depth scope on a per month basis. Uh, we can go higher than that, but it's a fair amount and it requires a good amount of traffic to do that. But that's a really good, we like to get to that cadence of speed and, uh, and learnings for folks. All right. Well, let's move on. What's been keeping you up at night? I think for you know, a team of us, we're, we're always very talent focused, right? Even with you know, markets uh, in some ways contracting and, and not being maybe as frothy as they were uh, a year ago or six months ago and the crazy valuations and, and investment happening, talent is still important, valuable, scarce. And we are very much a, a big function of our talent. So all, you know, always taking care of our folks, always being aligned with our, our teammates, you know, listening to them and, and, and vice versa and having a good dialogue and developing a good culture is, is really paramount for me. You know, things, things like, you know, being people being able to be candid and feel, feel relatively safe and, and feel supported are all our big things that, that we, we try to prioritize at, at Roundbarn Labs and as a team and a group of growth practitioners. And we're always, you know, looking for the next great person to join the team through network, through friends, through people in communities like Impact, like the partner economy, uh, like the growth communities out there. So it's always a challenge to acquire and retain great people. I know everyone is kind of dealing with that similar challenge. And I think that's always just paramount for me is doing our best to to retain that. It's always a challenge. And, you know, and I think there's always the realities that uh, folks are able to learn and grow and improve and you, you aim to support them in their next effort if it is time to, to move on. And so we, we often try to work with folks to collaborate and understand how do we support you in your career beyond RBL, uh, beyond your work here. That's something that's just, a, just a, an aspect of it that we, we aim to try to do. And, but that's always been a, that's always a challenge, I think, in our business. Growth is never done for businesses to continue growing. Something that is often pushed to the back burner, but is important to scale is conversion rate optimization. Ty says the ability to A-B test different content and landing pages while aligning for the best user interface is key. Let's hear next what industry dynamics have Ty's attention. I'm curious, do you guys, are you 100% remote? Yeah, great question. We are. We have been for, for quite a while, uh, pre-pandemic. Um, comes with its challenges and its benefits, right? 
Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of offices around the world, but, and some are way more, I guess, office focused, like they want to come into the office. And then there's others where because of COVID, what used to be a big thriving office is um, like today is I'm in our Santa Barbara office and it's, you know, we have a, a caterer come in and cook tacos right at, right in the courtyard. So that always gets a good draw. Um, but it can be like a ghost town the rest of the week because people are like, you know, it's just easier to work from home, even though they're probably less than 10 minutes away. Right. Um, it's so funny to see like some people really thrive and really, really crave that interaction to, de- depending on the role and the, the function, the personality. Uh, we've really tried our best to build upon, you know, those relationships with teams. We find that uh, whether it's a client QBR or, or a conference or yearly offsite, those are really critical for us, I think, to continue to develop those great relationships. For the most part, we can do most anything remotely. Uh, however, love love those interaction moments for a, a small tight-knit team. We've got a pod in Denver that's really active. We're, we I happen to be in an office today in downtown Austin. We kind of encourage folks to get together when we can and, and try to support that as much as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm an office person myself. And I just, I got to speak in Germany a couple of weeks ago at IMR festival. And uh, then I went, then I went to our Berlin office. So we have about maybe 20 people in that office. So it was the first time going to the office, but which we opened during the pandemic. And um, it was just great to see all those people in there and being able to interact with them and answer questions and hear how they're thinking. It's funny, right, right, at the beginning in January of 2020, when the pandemic was, you know, barely in the news, I had made a goal of my uh, to go to both our, well, to our New York and our London office to spend, you know, some like extended time in those offices, which, you know, obviously went out the window. So waiting for those offices to kind of come back alive. And then I'd like to do that for sure. I think it's fun to be able to connect with people, especially when you have you know, a thousand plus people in a company, it's hard for them to feel that connection, even though you're on Zoom or being talked about or in meetings or whatever, you're just not, you know, in Slack, it's still not the same. You can't, there's nothing like being in person on occasion. And I think it's so valuable. And especially for for you, you know, co-founder, and a visionary of of impact, it's got to be so nice for impact teammates to connect with you face-to-face and, and, and finally be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, two years of people not being hired and never meeting other people, you know, in a company. Crazy. crazy. So let's dig into the industry a little bit. What industry dynamics have your attention right now? What's, what's caught your eye? For me, it's it's a couple of different things. There's a lot. There's a lot always happening, which I think what makes what we do really fascinating. I think the shoppable shoppable commerce space is really interesting. Obviously, seeing Instagram you know, Reels, uh, TikTok, um, some of the networks and, and big platform partners that you know we work with in the affiliate partner industry uh, are very much top of mind. There's a lot of them that I think uh, brands and consumer e-com are trying to tap into. 
And I, I feel it's surprisingly early. I was I was actually talking to someone who's tasked with that for Instagram specifically at the conference in Vegas. They were sharing that they're they're you know one of the largest players in the space. They have the resources, yet they're still viewing it as somewhat early and, and somewhat still a long way to go to make that experience effective. And so I think that's somewhat telling. I mean. If you poll folks and understand how much they're actually buying from from these platforms, I've I've bought I think one or two things from like a social a true social feed that's that's straight. You can basically shop that item right away. But I think that's an opportunity, and I think that's one that's still still early days. You know, I think if you're direct to consumer and and kind of you have your product, and there's maybe not a lot of it's not a commodity or something that that would work really well. I guess if I were a, more of a retailer, especially around consumables and stuff, I mean, your AOV is going to suffer, right? So if people are just seeing a product and buying it, and a lot of times you're going to get hit with a shipping cost. Whereas if you add more to cart, shipping's free. So I, I still don't know about how consumers are going to respond to that. The other thing, I, even just in like an Instagram feed, which, it, it, you know, you're not... It's not shoppable commerce. You are clicking out to a website. A lot of times those products are more expensive than if you actually Googled them and found the actual website or on Amazon or somewhere else, same product. So I I feel like they're intentionally increasing the price in those feeds because people kind of just make a spur of the moment impulse buy, you know, and okay, you could have saved $2, but you know, you, you buy a hundred things, it's $200 or $300 suddenly that you over. Yeah. So, and then again, with the shopping, I mean, not everybody has free shopping, no matter what, it's usually over a certain threshold. And so I think, you know, you run the risk of having to pay shipping, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out. And obviously younger people may have a different mindset about this and it may just be more normal for them, but yeah, I'm seeing more sites and businesses popping up around um, you know, video, video-centric kind of presentation. It's almost like a Gen Z version of um, QVC or Shop at Home, which is kind of funny to think back. It's, a, it's interesting to see where it'll go, like you said. I, I think the Shopify ecosystem you know, separately is really interesting. Obviously, your impact is invested there. Brands like Clavio, Gorgeous, uh, a lot of really you know, triple whale. I, I like watching kind of the ecosystem there growing and the software that's spinning out of that to the tooling to help brands, you know, improve their position. And I think it's such a great ecosystem from what I can tell the growth of the, the, the business itself, the opportunity of e-com still growing in, in the United States and in globally. And I think to see, you know, Affiliate partner obviously play a really great role in that. The, the, that's a trend. Obviously, we're we're focused in on and thinking about uh, a number of our clients are leveraging the Shopify platform, and so we're we're counseling them on okay, how do we prioritize tools or or no tools or ensuring you're getting the most out of the ecosystem. And when I see brands move towards it, it's usually a lot of positives associated with it from my perspective. And and it's obviously very interesting with you know, how, how that's going to be positioned, whether they're investing in Amazon or not. Obviously, a big consideration for any e-com consumer brand to either tap into or 
whether they're tapping into brick and mortar, um, we're big believers in, in many of these ecosystems, but Shopify is one that's definitely got our eye at the moment. Yeah, as you mentioned, we, we definitely have a big investment with our partnership with Shopify. We have a premium integration there. So a, a Shopify store can just, with one click, have the integration, which includes returns, conversion tracking, everything is right there, product feed. So it's, a, it's you know, very frictionless. Um, you know, a Shopify store could be live on our platform in under 30 minutes. So even well under, I've seen demos where they're, they're live within 10 or 15 and we want to get it down to single digit minutes. So it's, I think for us, it's really important because the SMB space is something that we weren't really focused on at first. And now we are, I think we have hundreds of Shopify stores already using impact. So it's nice to have them. We have other e-commerce um, platform integrations as well. So it's, it's, you know, it's just kind of like for us, it's a type of partnership, right? So kind of eating, drinking our own champagne. I love it. And I love, I love hearing the speed and agility. Uh, I think that's just, uh, it's, it's so exciting to see the, the friction being removed through that getting set up and getting live process, which you guys have made a ton of progress on and technology is obviously getting better as we go. So it's, it's thrilling to see. Yeah, it's amazing how turnkey these e-commerce platforms are for someone who wants to get online and sell. Whereas before it was five or 10 years ago, it was a lot of work to sell online more, you know, not a lot, but more than, than it's required today. You really can get up to speed very quickly. So it's, it's exciting. It's just bringing a lot more opportunities. So, hey, as we start to wrap things up, I like to ask people who has been a, a mentor or a big influence in your life or, or career? Yeah, I love the question. Um, yeah, I, I've definitely a couple come to mind. Uh, my dad, first and foremost, uh, kind of written and shared some of the lessons he's taught me over the years. But his vision, he would always share that be willing and able to move laterally in order to move up. I always like, he had many euphemisms and phrases, and I always the kind of that one comes to mind right now. Taught me a lot about hard work, about persistence. I think he was uh, a bit smarter than he let on, and always uh, draw a lot from his uh, his great teaching. I love that. Be willing to move laterally to move up because I have seen people. One of the things about starting companies is you get to watch people's careers, and you know that within the company that you you started and then later in life. But I mean, I have seen lots of people at impact make you know, lateral moves, I guess, to, because they're figuring out they like something maybe a little better or they they're stronger and they didn't, you know, it attracted them. They came in as doing job a and they moved over to, to position B and then they were able to move up. Right. So I think it's an important thing to think about especially for younger people, but probably for anybody is that it's not always about moving up. It's about figuring out what you're really good at and what you enjoy and where you can make a difference. Cause it's easier to move up when you love what you're doing and you're good at it. Right. I love that. I, some other folks have counseled me similar. It's like when you're picking your, when you're younger and picking your major in college or you're picking a job, it's like, don't, don't get to, so hung up on, being perfect or trying to do the right thing, but don't 
take what you love doing and, 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 and rally it. Yeah, I know that resonates with me. And I, and on the flip side, I love for, for our team, and I'm sure you feel similarly, Todd, I love trying to put people in the best seat and, and see them thrive. I mean, that's a big part of, you know, helping support people and trying to be a good leader. So the other one I'll share um, is a family friend of mine uh, by the name of Bob Feist. He, he founded a biggest roping in the world uh, called the BFI, Bob Feist Invitational. I joke that he's 80, he's going on 30. Uh, he's just boundless energy. He's an independent thinker, uh, very practical very thoughtful and kind of like thinking about financials and investing. And he's, he's a very empathetic person who's thoughtful of other people. And I think that, uh, you, you know, you don't always associate that with rodeo uh, announcers or cowboys, but I felt that he's always been a good influence on me in that, in that realm. And awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, that, that's another kind of good uh, perspective is, you know, you don't have to look for mentors or people that can influence your life within your career necessarily, right? Like I like a lot of people think, oh, I need a mentor that's in, you know, the space that I'm in or the company that I'm working for. And of course we can all help there, but you know, finding something outside that just gives you a new perspective. The uh good comment I heard recently was action over mentorship and in terms of like thinking through taking action and being willing to take steps and learn from those mistakes and those trying of things, like you said earlier, Todd, I think is really great. Obviously getting mentorship and getting coaching is always uh, nice and valuable, but there's so much you can learn just from that, those experiences and taking action as well. Yeah. And just, just being inspired by other people. They don't have to be a mentor, right? Just you see how people go about life and treat other people or think about things and that can inspire you as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, Hey Ty, I loved having you on and I'd love to everything we got to talk about today. So I want to thank you. I'm sure we'll be running into each other in person here in the coming months as the world continues to open up. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Todd. Thanks so much for having me. I loved it and grateful to be a part of it. So one of the big takeaways for me today with my conversation with Ty was around conversion rate optimization, right? Landing pages are, for most companies, a challenge. There's a lot of teams involved. Not all of them roll up into marketing. So there's not one person commanding the landing page optimization process. But I think there's so much upside for companies to realign and reinvest in landing page optimization. And particularly when it comes to partnerships, it gives you a competitive edge. Some of the partnerships are gonna recognize that their traffic is converting better with your site versus maybe your competitors. So Again, there's so much benefit to focusing on this. And I think, again, it's something that's historically been on the back burner. Thanks again to Ty for joining us on the Partnership Economy. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to next time. Thanks for listening to the Partnership Economy brought to you by Impact.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts.